All right, good morning. Hello out there, everyone. Good morning. Oh, there you are. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, see what happens when Revelation begins. Things start to fall. That's crazy. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 this morning. I'd love for you to uh, turn it in your copy of God's Word uh, to Revelation chapter 1, last book of the Bible. If you're looking, if you're on your app, just type in Revelation. It'll come right up. And uh, we'll be looking at all of chapter one. I have a couple things I just want to celebrate uh, today as we get started. At the end of uh, 2021, we as a church uh, put out a big ask for year-end giving. And we said, hey, there's a couple things that we really are praying for. One, that a budget deficit would would be uh, sort of crushed. And then two, that we could give uh to our kingdom partners here in the local area and also in Lebanon above and beyond what we normally uh, do. And you guys came through. I'm so grateful. Um, You gave in total in the month of December, $571,000 and 21 cents, which just the budget giving was 67% over our monthly requirement, which crushed our budget deficit and put us uh, 5%. Uh, in the black for our, our budget, and we're really, really grateful for that. It also gives us the opportunity to give above and beyond to our kingdom partners here in the 4B area and Lebanon. We're excited about that. We also uh, have now $100,000 in our fund to launch our counseling center in 2022, and we're looking forward to uh, moving forward with that. It's a community-focused uh, counseling center working on a partnership Uh, with another uh, gospel-centered church in our area, and uh, we're excited to see those funds begin to come in. Additionally, $500,000 was given as an endowment to Bay Area Christian School for tuition scholarships, which is a huge, huge deal, and we're just blessing God. We we prayed, and uh, we asked, and he provided, and uh, I was telling our team this week, you know, I think the best like fund development strategy there ever was for the church was just simply to pray and ask God's people to be faithful and be good stewards of the um, money and uh, really, really grateful. So I'm just, I'm just saying, go God in all of it. It's been uh, wonderful to see. So thank you for those of you that uh, were able to give. All right, Revelation chapter 1. We're going to break Revelation into 14 weeks, and we'll look at basically three parts or three sort of mini-series in the book of Revelation. And the first part of this is a message to the churches. So I need to give you some background, then we'll stand and read the text, some basic background that you're going to need all along the way. Uh, First of all, this is written by the disciple John. It is uh, a a vision you'll see in the text. He receives a vision from Jesus while he's on the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And he writes this letter as instructed by Jesus to seven literal churches 
in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor is Roman at that time period. So I don't know what you think about when you think about Asia Minor, if you think about anything, but it is completely and utterly Roman. The emperor at the time is likely Domitian, and we'll talk more about him. And the date or the authorship is like 90, 95 AD, in my opinion. All that you'll forget. And so I'll tell you again because there'll be parts that, uh, and places that you'll need some of that, some of that information. I'm going to get you to go ahead and stand with me now. And we're going to read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, uh, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to uh, distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I'm the alpha and the omega says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come the almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book, in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. 
Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You can be seated. Not much there. This should be quick. Let me just break this down into a couple of maybe bite-sized ways of thinking about Revelation chapter uh, 1. Revelation is an intriguing book. Uh, It's intriguing because of its nature. Um, It is apocalyptic and prophetic all at the same time. So the word revelation in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that is the Greek word apocalypsis, and it is a revealing of what is hidden. It is a revealing of what is to come. Now, here's how the church, especially in the West, has approached the book of Revelation in a wrong way in days gone by. We have approached the book of Revelation as a code to be cracked. It is not a code to be cracked. It's not a mystery to be solved, but it is a revealing of what is to come. It is clear what Jesus wants to communicate in the book of Revelation. So we're not looking for hidden meaning because this is a revealing, thus the title, Revelation. Now, it's not just a revelation, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You look at verses 1 and 2 again. The revelation of who? Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, what is the purpose of this book? The purpose is clear, to show things that are to come in the future. That's it, to show things that are to come in the future. The assumption on the writer's part, based on his vision, is these things are certain. The words of Jesus, as he says these things to John, these things are certain. All that we talk about from Revelation will happen. It's a revelation, it's a revealing, and it's purpose to to show things that are to come. Now, we get in this revelation of Jesus Christ, really, two aspects that I think are important for us to understand. One is that we're given a doctrine or a theology of God, who God is. And second, we're, we're, we're able to see John's experience with Jesus in this vision. So let's talk about the doctrine of God for just a minute, which may sound like a, a seminary class, but it's really important to understand what the scripture says of God himself. And so here's what we learn as we walk through these initial verses four through 11. We learn that God is three in one. We get a Trinitarian view of God. So Revelation chapter one, verse four, it says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. This is the father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Revelation chapter one, verses five to seven. And from Jesus Christ. 
the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This Jesus Christ is the son. Now, let's park on Jesus for just a moment. It's really interesting what is revealed about Jesus here to us in the beginning. It's as if they want us to make sure we're getting the right Jesus, the right one, because there is only one. And here's what it teaches us. He he is the the faithful witness. He's, He's the one that never wavered from revealing, both as he walked the planet, went through crucifixion, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the heaven. He is the one that always was the faithful witness of the father carrying this message of good news, of the steadfast love of God and forgiveness of sins for all who would come to, to God through, through Christ. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. Paul echoes this in the book of Colossians. It's simply to say he's the first one that died and was resurrected. He's the ruler of kings on the earth. There are a lot of kings on the earth, but Jesus is the king of kings. Now, this is in contrast to Caesar. Caesar was often called king of kings. And here John is telling us from prison in Patmos, Caesar is not the king of kings, but Jesus is the ruler of all kings, including Caesar. To him who loves us, and this is what we need to hear today. Because when we begin to think about, we, 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 we talk about it like end times, right? But it's really a revelation, a revealing of our future. It's not the end of anything. It's the continuation of something great. When we think about that, oftentimes it's ominous. And we think about these crazy uh, things happening. And, and we'll get into all of what Revelation says about what will happen when, when things begin to culminate. But here's what you need to know in the beginning. This Jesus, he loves us. And he freed us from our sins by his blood. He's the one that will orchestrate all that's getting ready to happen. By him and through him, all things were created. And by him and through him, all things will be restored. And the good news is he loves you. So if you have this fear about going through what seems like in times prophecy or apocalyptic things understand jesus is in control of it and the good news is he loves you he died for you and and freed us from our sins by his blood he changed our identity verse six he made us a kingdom priest to his god and father meaning on the earth now we are living in the kingdom of god it's not something just for later but in christ we are the kingdom of god living now as we gathered just a moment ago to sing praises to his name we're the kingdom of god and 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 one expression of that throughout the world and throughout the generations we're priests meaning that that we go before him we pray and intercede on behalf of others because of jesus and to him he gets he gets all the glory and all the dominion 
forever. This is Jesus. So the doctrine of God here is we have the Father in Revelation 1. We have the Son in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. And we have the Spirit in Revelation chapter 1, 10 and 11. It's actually through the Spirit that John is receiving this vision. It says, I was in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So John was praying in the Spirit, and it's by the Spirit of God that all of this is revealed. So the doctrine, the clear, simple doctrine that we get in the first part of Revelation is we're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ And the one who was and is and is to come, the Father, and the one who died to save us from our sins, the Son, Jesus, and it's all happening by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. John clearly, from God, has a Trinitarian doctrinal view of God. Now, let's talk about his experience with Jesus in verses 9 to 20. And I, I'm going to have to run through this, but I want you to hear it because <clears throat> sometimes I think we think of Jesus as less than he really is. And he's revealed to John here in a way that is powerful. So look at verses 10 and 11. It says, In verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So this voice is powerful and it is the voice of Jesus. It says, as we continue through 9 through 20, it says that there were seven golden lampstands with one like the uh, son of man in the midst. Seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a picture that is actually uh, interpreted for us here in, in, in Revelation chapter 1 at the end of verse 20. It tells us the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So you have a picture of Jesus, the Son of Man, standing among the seven churches that this letter is written Now, seven lampstands is always a picture of the presence of God in Scripture. If you had time, you could do a study and find seven lampstands in Exodus 25, 37, when it comes to the tabernacle in the wilderness. In 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 20, you'll find seven golden lampstands in the temple describing the presence of God. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2, you'll find seven lampstands representing the spirit or the presence presence of God. And here in Revelation chapter one, these seven lampstands are the churches, which are literally the the expression of the kingdom of God, the presence of God on the earth. And he stands among them. He's described as having a long robe and a golden sash. This tells us that he is ancient and authoritative. We see the same vision of Jesus in Daniel chapter 10, verse five. He has white hair like wool. This tells us he's pure. He's righteous. He's ancient. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 describes the ancient of days the same way with white hair like wool. It says he has feet like burnished 
bronze. And this is echoed in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 7 and Daniel chapter 10 verse 6. And it says that he has a voice like the roar of many waters. The same thing is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 2 when it says that the glory of God was coming to Israel from the east. And this burnished bronze and this roar of many waters is a picture of the glory of God. So John is seeing in a vision Jesus. Now catch this. John walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus, the the Galilean, the the Nazarene, the, the one who washed his feet, the one who went to the cross, the one who did miracles. He knew Jesus in a physical, tangible way. And now he's experiencing Jesus having been resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father in all of his glory. And what we're finding is all the truth of the scripture is pictured here for us, that Jesus has always been, that he's powerful, that his presence is real on the earth among the churches, that he's ancient and authoritative, he's pure, he's righteous, and he is the epitome of God's glory. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it says that he has seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars in his right hand. A couple of ways we might interpret that. It could be that these seven stars are literal angels or messengers of the churches. It could be a representative of the Spirit of God, but in his right hand, he holds seven stars. It says that there is a sharp, two-edged sword coming from his mouth. Now we see this imagery several times in the scripture and Hebrews four chapter 12 puts it plainly that this is the word of God that is living. It's active. It's sharp. It's, it's perfect. And this is one of the reasons we stand and say the very words, because it's different than the word of a human. It's the word of God. And from, a, from Jesus' mouth, this comes. And then it says, his face was shining like the sun in full glory. And this is not the first time that actually John saw that. John, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, he was on a mountain with Jesus. And Jesus was transfigured. They call it the transfiguration. And it said that his face shone with such glory. It was the glory of God. This is the second time that John has seen the face of Jesus like this. Now, when you think about Jesus, I want you to think about him not as a little Jesus that you accept into your heart, but the powerful ancient of days who's seated authoritatively at the right hand of the Father, who loves you and gave himself for you. But if you were in his presence, you would probably respond like John did in John chapter 1, verse 17, when it simply said, um, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He is glorious. He is powerful. He's not just a rabbi who teaches, but he is the Messiah, the risen one, the firstborn from the dead, the one who is coming soon. And so when you realize practically he died on a cross to save you from your sins, how would one king that glorious, the most authoritative, love us enough to die? And then secondarily in his resurrected body and his place of authority, 
He is stunning. You fall in fear as though dead before him. According to John. Take the little Jesus and put it somewhere else. That's the American Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And revelation, this is all his revelation, his revealing. Well, how does Jesus respond to John? Can you imagine in this vision, John is just like, I, I should die now. And, and lays down in front of the Savior. How does Jesus respond? Verse 17 to 20, it says this. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades right there for the things that you've seen. Those that are, that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars, you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are angels, messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus' response to John is to simply lay a hand on him in all of his power and say, fear not. In his very presence, fear not. And he goes on to say this, like, don't have any fear because I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning of it. I'm the end of it. Same Jesus you walked with all your life. I'm him now. And I was and is and I am to come. He said, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Retestifying to, I'm the one that was crucified. I'm the one that was resurrected. You saw it, John. I have the keys of death and Hades. These are the things that we fear most, death and hell. And he went and he got the keys of death and Hades. And he's like, I got them. What are you worried about, John? Don't fear. Just write these things down, John, and share them with the seven churches and then ultimately the world. And this is what John does. This is what Revelation is all about. It's the the writing of the things that Jesus says to John so that the churches would know what's coming. And that's why we read it today. Now, There's a whole other thread here that I think is really encouraging that we need to understand. And it it is, I would just call this one for the servants of Jesus. This is for the servants of Jesus. And we're going to go back and kind of comb back through the entire chapter as we, as we wrap. When we read Revelation chapter one, we find for the servants of Jesus, we find blessing. We find blessing. Not fear, not destruction, blessing. Look at verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. First and foremost, for the servants of God, you find blessing. This is not to be a fearful 
uh, book. This is to be a blessing to you, a revealing that is a blessing to everybody who reads these words aloud, everybody who hears them and walks in them. This is a blessing from Jesus himself for the servants of Jesus. It's really good news. Verse 4, we find grace and peace. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Do you know what Jesus wants for us in the restoration of all things? He shows it to us as servants of Jesus in the revealing that is here in the the revelation. He wants for us grace and peace. So if you're worried about getting eaten by a locust or burning up in some fireball or some kind of crazy thing like that, understand the motive and the intention of the sovereign king of the universe for his servants is blessing and grace and peace. And that's really good news. Really good news. Now John goes on here and says, In verse 9, not only is there blessing for the servants of Jesus, not only is there grace and peace for the servants of Jesus, but he is a partner with those who hear, partner with the servants of Jesus in tribulation, kingdom, and patient endurance. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, John was like the bishop of the churches in Asia Minor. He was the overseer of these churches at this time. He's imprisoned in Patmos because Rome is sick and tired of his influence. And so Rome has taken him off the main continent, put him on a boat, sailed him about 40 miles to Patmos and said, just hang out here on this tiny little island. Shh, John. And his influence actually magnifies, which is how the Holy Spirit works. You can lock somebody up, but you can't stop the message. It, in fact, usually burns brighter in a situation like that. And, and so John says to, to you, to all of us, all servants of Jesus, in verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos by his testimony on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why am I in Patmos? Because of the word of God. Because I testify about Jesus. They put me out here. But Jesus met me here. And he says, he assumes some things like when these churches, uh, when they receive these letters and it's read to them, all these letters were written to, read to all the churches, even though they're one to Ephesus, one to Smyrna, one to Pergamum, so on and so forth. They're read to all of them. We're going to read them. When he writes, he assumes that the servant of Jesus on the other end that is hearing understands that they're partnered with him in tribulation. In tribulation. He was going through tribulation then. See. And so these, it's clear, these three experience inevitably await the servant of Jesus. It doesn't matter what generation, what nation, 
what language servants of Jesus go through these three things. These, they have these three experiences for sure. One is to share in the kingdom of God now. It's happening now. It's expanding now. We're part of the kingdom of God now as servants of Jesus. It's as real today as it will be in eternity. That's one experience. The community we have, the faith that we have, the, the love that we have for one another, the, 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 the strength and joy and peace that comes from being together in Christ. We share in that now. But there is secondly, a future manifestation of the kingdom of God, according to Revelation. So there will be not only what we experience now, but something glorious in the future that awaits us. And every servant of Christ will experience that. But the third thing that John anticipates that we all understand is that we will all experience tribulation as servants of Jesus. We will all experience tribulation. That's why he's a partner in tribulation. So some people have this idea that tribulation is for later and it doesn't involve me because I won't be here then. From Revelation chapter 1, we get the people of God, the servants of God will experience the kingdom of God and they'll patiently endure in that time frame, waiting the eternal manifestation of what is the restoration of all things and the, the eternal kingdom of God, which will be glorious. And in the midst of that patient endurance, we will face tribulation. Let's see, tribulation is difficulty, suffering, sometimes persecution like John was facing because he had been exiled to Patmos. Timothy assumed it when he says, when Paul says to Timothy, Paul assumes it when he writes to Timothy, who would be the pastor at Ephesus, he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's just an experience that servants of Jesus have. Now, we have a quandary because, I don't know, maybe, I can't speak for you, but many people feel as if in the Western church, specifically the American church, they've never faced tribulation, any kind of tribulation. So if we're all going to experience tribulation, why haven't I? So let me just give you a couple of thoughts. In our generation, our time, the church in the West and specifically in the South of the United States has been built on the consumer. Meaning, we want to get as many people inside our buildings as we can. And so we'll do whatever we can to get people inside our buildings. And that means that we're going to make it like you like it, right? And you consume it until you don't like it anymore. And then you just go consume somewhere else. And consumers don't face tribulation because when they don't like it, they leave. When it gets hard, they just quiet themselves out there 
in the community. There's no tribulation for a consumer. The only tribulation that comes in the West is when you try to shape a consumer church into servants of Christ. And you say, oh, you got to live kingdom. Oh, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, you, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you got to sacrifice and give of yourself. Oh, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and die. Come and die. I'll never forget walking at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's four or five different churches in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And sometimes I, I come around and come like through the roof. Like the group would think we're going through the roof, but it's actually the entrance to the Coptic Church. Uh, at the top and and uh, years ago now there was you'll remember this picture because it was all over all over media everywhere there were uh, in, in the stronger days of ISIS there were uh, several Coptic cr- Christians beheaded on a beach in orange jumpsuits and I'll never forget walking in that church and I had a group of 30 40 Americans behind me and we go through this little narrow passageway, but right outside, right outside the door into the Coptic church was a banner of these guys on the beach. ISIS behind them with, you know, and I walked in the door and I remember thinking, if they don't get the message, come and die. At the place, this is, the Holy Sepulcher is built on the place where Jesus was crucified. If they don't get the message, come and die. At the place where Jesus was crucified, they will never get it. The banner's there. This is where he was crucified. Those guys just died for their faith. We consume. I'm generally speaking. But you will not face tribulation and consumption in the United States of America. You will face tribulation from within the church if you're a leader of the church and you try to shape it a different way, away from consumption. Jesus' church is not full of consumers. It's full of servants. That's why John uses the phrase doulos, Greek, servant of Jesus. It's like slave of Jesus. Like I'm a partner in tribulation in the kingdom in patient endurance with all of you doulos, you servants. That's not consumers. A doulos is someone who is chained to Jesus. Goes where he says go, says where where he says what he says to say. Lives the way he says live. And, and John is assuming we're all partners in the tribulation uh, here. If you go to the east, fastest growing churches in the world, in Iran and China. They don't have big buildings or big budgets. No one's consuming there. You know why? Because you can die there for your faith. You can be put in prison there for your faith. It's the fastest growing church in the world. Both places. Why? 
because they're following Jesus. It's not about what is in it for me. They're thinking about the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1 with the glory of God in his face among the churches. They don't need a building when, when sovereign King Jesus is with them. There's a sword coming from his mouth. He's ancient and wise. He was the first and the last. And so if we die somewhere in the middle, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That is the Christianity John's talking about in Revelation chapter 1. Not consumer Christianity. So, there is blessing and grace and peace and partnership and tribulation kingdom and an eternal promise of a restored future for the servants of Jesus. And I guess as we approach the entirety of the rest of this letter and the weeks ahead, there's one question we each have to answer personally as we approach this. I mean, the wrong question is, 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 let's learn when Jesus is coming back. That's the wrong question. The right question is, who is Jesus, the one who's coming back? And then secondarily, am I his servant? Am I his servant? There's a reason it is the first step into a relationship with Jesus requires utter humility. You have to say, I can't rescue myself from my own sin. You have to kneel before Jesus and say, I confess that you're the risen son of God. You have to place your belief and trust in him and all that takes utter humility and then you're saying i'm not going to be a slave to sin anymore to myself anymore i'm going to be a slave to jesus maybe all this time we should have been inviting everyone to come be a slave to jesus to come and die and it's actually in that you'll find life you'll find blessing you'll find grace and peace that transcends everything else that's coming in the book of Revelation. And that's the question you have to answer. Who is Jesus? And am I his servant? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and, and simply meditate on these two questions. And invite you during this last song um, to respond to Jesus, either in worship and in prayer, just talking to him about things you need to talk to him about. If you want to trust Jesus with your life eternally, 
for the forgiveness of your sin and a new way of living, I'd invite you to come talk to one of our our pastors during the song, one of our prayer partners, because it is crucial that you know where you stand with Jesus. He's not asking you to do a bunch of good things for him. He's just asking you to submit to him, to trust him, to believe in him, to become his servant. He loves you. He went to a cross and he died out of love for you. And he invites you to come and I invite you to come. If you wanna pray about anything in this time, uh, we'll be here. We'd love to pray with you. If, if you're not comfortable coming up here in that connect card in the worship guide, you can check, hey, I, I wanna know more about my, how to have a relationship with Jesus and we'll follow up with you this week. But respond. Don't hear a message like that from the Bible, the very words of God, and not be impacted. Don't be apathetic. Don't be numb. Don't think that's not real. It's all real. Father, as we worship now, would you, by your spirit, move in people's hearts in in ways that we can never manufacture. We love you in Jesus' name.